morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Come on, does anybody love Jesus in the house today? Come on, let's give Jesus the best praise that we got. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Give Jesus all he deserves. Hey, it's all about him anyways. That's why we came together was to lift up one name. That's the name of Jesus. And hey, I'm so glad that you are all here at church with us today. You're a good looking crowd, a beautiful looking crowd of people this morning. My name is Caleb Sowell. I get the privilege of serving at City Hope as the ministry pastor, um, but I also get to serve as our 430 campus pastor and shout out to my 430 campus, all my people at the 430 service. Come on, can y'all help me say a big hello? to all my 430 people who's there this evening. Thanks so much for being with us. And I just want to say that it's such a privilege to be able to, to lead at our 430 campus and to pastor them. Man, great things are happening at our 430 campus. The service that happens at 430 every single week is growing. People are coming out. People are taking their next steps. They're, they're growing. Salvations are taking place. And man, it's just, it's just amazing to see all that God is doing at 430. And I just want to also just say a big hello to everyone who's tuning in with us online for church this morning. Thank you for being with us. You our family. But today, before we jump into the message, I just want to kind of let you guys know what's up and coming, what's, what's around the corner, what we have going on in church life here. And some of it you heard in the video just a moment ago, but I want to emphasize a few things. And the first thing is motion night. And that is a service that happens once a month on the second Wednesday of every month for all of our middle school and high school students. And so if you're in middle school, you're in high school, we would love for you to come hang with us this Wednesday. Doors open at 6.30. The service starts at 7. And this week, we're going to have a very special treat. We're going to be having a guest speaker. His name is Sam McCullough, and he's the director of an organization called Feed. And what Feed does, you may have never heard of them, but what Feed does is they provide resources, content, small group curriculum, um, totally free of charge to youth pastors and youth ministries all across America. And we got a couple of other youth groups that are going to be joining in with us this Wednesday night as well. But um, Feed is an amazing organization. Maybe you've heard us sharing, sharing some messages where we have statistics about Generation Z. All of those statistics come directly from Feed. They do all the research and then they provide it completely free for youth ministries all across the nation. And so it's, it's, it's an honor to have their director, Sam, to come out and speak to our students. And really what drove this is that what we've learned about Generation Z is that only about 3% of them read their Bible on their own. And, and a lot of that, they don't really even understand how to apply in their life. And so we're bringing out the specialists. They specialize in helping Generation Z understand the Word of God and apply it. And so we're bringing the specialists in to, to help our students concerning the Bible. And so that's what he's going to be speaking about. It's going to be an amazing time together. We're going to have a lot of fun after party, after the service. So come hang with us this Wednesday night, 630. But also, today's the last day of the series that we've been in. And so next week, we're starting a brand new series called The Holy Bible. And guess what it's going to be about, everybody? Can anybody take a guess? All about the Bible. <laughs> awesome. So I'm excited about this series. I think it's going to be really good. We're going to talk about how, how to learn God's word, how to love God's word, and really, ultimately, how do we live it out? Like every day, it's not just a book, but how do we live it out on a day-to-day -day basis? And so this is going to be a, a great series. I'm excited to dive into this message. But today, we are going to be wrapping up the series that we've been in. Today's part five of the series that we've been in over the last four weeks called SOS. And what this stands for is Song of Solomon. We've been taking a deep dive into the Song of Solomon. Also, SOS means 
Help, somebody help me. So we're rescuing relationships. We're looking into the word of God about what what Solomon has to say about marriage, what he has to say about relationships. And a lot of this series has been kind of geared towards married people. But if you're single or maybe in a dating relationship today, you can take notes and use this information because it's gonna be useful for future relationships, future marriages that you may step into. Um, This is information that can apply to everyone, no matter what season of life you may be in and so but I have the privilege of wrapping this series up today and today the topic the main theme of the message is we're going to be talking about how to cultivate a love that lasts in our marriage how do we cultivate a love that lasts that can stand the test of time and you may be saying well who's this young whippersnapper up here and how's he going to tell me how to live in my marriage he ain't been married but two years Okay, I've been married 30. Okay, I've been married 30 years. How's he gonna tell me? So, I just want to let you know, I really don't have the authority to speak on this message, but what I do have is I have a lot of amazing mentors in my life who are much older than me, who have been married for 30 years and who who have taught me a lot of good lessons. And I've studied this topic. I've read a lot of good content, read some books. And so what I've done is I've just compiled some some timeless information and I'm just gonna pass it along to you, everybody, okay? Does that sound good? So I'm gonna, and, and it's helping me. It's helping me grow in my marriage as well. But the goal today is that when you would leave, I would hope that you would be inspired to cultivate this love that will last the test of time in your marriage. Hope you'll be inspired, but also want to equip you with some next steps so that you can know exactly what you need to do. But just this week as I was studying, as I was preparing for this message, I did a little bit of research and I found some statistics around the topic of marriage and divorce specifically concerning America. Now, before I dive off in this, because for a minute, it's going to get a little bit somber. It's going to be like, man, that's terrible. And the reason I'm doing this is because I like to look at the facts. I like to look at, hey, what's going on in our nation? What's going on in our society? And how can we change it? How can we live in such a way that we don't have to become another statistic? And maybe you're here today and you've been through a divorce. You've been through a hard marriage. And I want you to know that this message is not to bring any shame. It's not to bring any condemnation. All that it's to do is to say, hey, where am I in my season of life right now? And what's my next step? How can I move forward? Can I just say this? The past is in the past. Let's leave it there, okay? But we can begin today And we can move forward to cultivate a love that lasts in our marriage, in our families, in our lives. Amen? So let's look at the facts. Let's look at the statistics. What I like to say with my team here at church is I I like to get aggressive and use this really aggressive word. Let's interrogate, okay? Let's interrogate reality. Let's get aggressive about what's true. What are the facts? And so what the facts are is that every 42 seconds, there's one divorce that takes place in America. That equates to 86 divorces per hour, 2,046 divorces per day, 14,364 divorces per week, and 746,971 divorces per year in America. That's a lot of divorce taking place in our nation. To continue, in the time that it takes a couple to recite their wedding vows, we're not talking about the entire marriage, we're talking about just the exchange of the vows. Just those few moments where, hey, I promise in sickness and health to death to us part. In that time where one couple is making their, their promise, three of them is falling apart. Just in that short amount of time. In, in the time that the average wedding reception lasts, like one, one marriage is celebrating and they're having cake and they're eating food and they're dancing and they're having a good time celebrating their new marriage, 
430 just fell apart. 430 fall apart during the, in the time of the average wedding reception. And the last one is a study shows that over a 40-year period, that 67% of first marriages will terminate in divorce. Now, that doesn't look really good. The facts doesn't look really good. And, and this is, I'm not saying these things to scare you, to cause you any fear. I'm not saying those things for any, of, any other reason other than, hey, let's look at the facts. Let's understand what's going on in our society. And now let's figure out how can, how can my marriage not be a, another statistic? How can I overcome this? How can I cultivate a love that's going to last the test of time? And so if we're going to build a marriage that can withstand the test of time, we have to start with a foundation, right? Because anything worth having, you have to have a firm foundation. Whether you're going to build a house or you're going to build a shed in your backyard or whatever it may be, you got to start with the foundation. Maybe you're trying to buy a house and the inspector goes in and the report comes back and it says, uh, I wouldn't buy this house because it's got damage to the foundation. Does it have a good foundation? Either we're going to have that repaired and we're going to ask them to pay for it before we buy this thing or we're backing out of the deal, right? Because you don't want to deal with no foundation damage. You got to, anything worth having, you need to have a firm foundation, but we don't often carry that over into our marriages. And so in our marriage, we have to say, if we're going to build a marriage, if we're going to build a family and a relationship, we need to have a firm foundation. And so in your notes today, we provided you with some, some message notes in your worship guide. You can pull those out and follow along. This is the first thing you would write in, is that we have to invite God to be the foundation of our relationship. We have to invite God to be the foundation of our marriage. And we could talk about a lot of different things today. We could talk about marriage counseling and therapy and books and podcasts and all those things and praise God for all those self-help things. And those are amazing. And I would say utilize those things. But can I just say, if we don't get this right, none of those other things are going to matter. None of those other things are going to work because we need the power of God in our marriages. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our, in our marriages. Nothing else will do. Nothing else will help us last the test of time in the storms of life that will come. We need the power of God. Can I get an amen? Come on, y'all. Give me a better amen right there. We need God. We need the power of God. And so the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 4, he says, Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. Now, what this passage is telling us is that you can depend on God. You can, you can trust in God because he is the rock eternal. You can trust in God for your marriage. You can trust in God for your family because he is the rock eternal. But if you notice this word rock right here, it's actually in the middle of a sentence. It's capitalized. It's like this in the scriptures. It's capitalized. And this word typically wouldn't be capitalized in the middle of a sentence, but the reason it's capitalized is because it's not talking about the kind of rock that you're going to see when you walk out the doors today on your way to your car. It's actually referring to one of the names of God. And throughout the Old Testament, what we see is that God is referred to using the word rock on several different occasions. He's referred to as the living stone. He's referred to as the rock of my salvation. He's referred to as the everlasting rock, okay? In this particular verse, the, what we can do is we can look back at the original Hebrew word to get a better understanding of what it really means. And the, the Hebrew translation of this is Yahweh Suri, meaning the Lord, my rock, meaning eternal foundation, meaning my solid ground. 
Okay, and so it's talking about God as a foundation, everybody. So what it actually reads is, hey, you can trust in God. You can trust in the Lord because he's the Lord, my rock, because he's the eternal foundation, because he's my solid ground. I can trust in him for my marriage because when the things of life get get wavy and when the things of the life, I don't have a firm ground to stand on. I can stand on Jesus Christ. I can stand on him as my firm foundation, as my solid rock. So if we're going to build a love that lasts, if we're going to build a love that lasts in our marriages, we have to start with the foundation. We have to, we have to have the eternal foundation, the solid ground, Jesus Christ in our relationships. We have to invite him in. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 5, maybe you've, you've read this passage before, but in Matthew chapter 5, what's taking place is what we know of as the Sermon on the Mount. You may be familiar with this passage. If not, that's okay. But it goes from Matthew chapter 5 all the way to Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's Jesus preaching his famous message. And a lot of people study it. But in this, in this message that he's preaching, he goes over several different topics. He talks about the Beatitudes. He talks about murder. He talks about divorce. He talks about giving to the poor. A lot of really good topics. And once we get to Matthew chapter 7, towards the end of Matthew chapter 7, he begins his conclusion of the message, okay? So he's getting ready to close the message out and get to the altar call. Like he's getting ready to send everybody to, to go eat lunch, okay? And, and here's what he says in his concluding statements in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, the words that I've just spoken, the words that I've just taught you in this message, who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice, he's like a wise man who built his house on the rock, Okay, let's stop here for a second, because what Jesus is saying is those who hear my words and put them into practice, he likens it to them building their house on the rock. Now, what's a house? It's symbolic of the household. It's symbolic of the family. And can I tell you, there's no family without a marriage. So we could say today that he who puts Jesus' words into practice, it's like they built their marriage on the rock. It's like they invited Jesus to be the firm foundation of their marriage. And here's what he says next. He says, the rain came down. Okay, I'm going to need y'all to help me right here. I need y'all to give me some storm, some rain. Come on, give it on your legs. Everybody ain't participating in here because it'd be a lot louder. Come on, y'all help me out. Give me a storm. Give me a storm. Stomp your feet. Stomp your feet. So he says, the rain came down. The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house. You can stop. The storms of life came. And I wonder if you've ever been in a storm in your marriage. I wonder if you've ever gone through a storm where the winds were blowing, the rain was pouring down, it was thunder and it was lightning, it was terrible. Has anybody ever been in a storm in their marriage? Because what Jesus said is when the storms came, that house, that household, that family, that marriage, it did not fall. Why? Because its foundation was on the rock. Because they had invited Jesus Christ to be the firm foundation. And so when the storms of life came, the house was able to stand. The marriage was able to stand. And he continues and he says, but there's going to be some other kind of people. And here's what they're going to do is they're going to hear my words. and They're going to not put them into practice. They're not going to do it. They're not going to invite me to be the firm foundation of their relationship. And Jesus says that person's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
He didn't give it a firm foundation. He just built it on sand. And Jesus, like Jesus calls those people foolish. Because you're kidding yourself if you think you can do it without Jesus. You're kidding yourself if you think you can have a life-giving marriage without God in it. It's not possible. And so Jesus says they're foolish. And so what he's saying is there's some people that, maybe, maybe some people in this room today that you're going to hear what I say. You're going to hear the, you're going to hear me saying, Hey, you need Jesus to be your firm foundation. You're going to hear what I'm saying and you're going to walk out the door and you're going to say, that young guy didn't know what he was talking about. I ain't doing that. I'm going to keep doing the same, same thing I'm doing. I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do, do what the Bible says. I'm not going to do these things. And what Jesus said is those who did that, it's like you built your house on the sand. And the Bible says this. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. And so when the rain came down, because inevitably a storm's coming, everybody. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, that marriage, that family. And it fell with a great crash. Why? Because they didn't have a firm foundation. It fell with a great crash. Everybody heard about it. Everybody's talking about it. It hurt a lot of people because it was a big crash. It fell with a great crash because there was no foundation. Jesus Christ was not the solid rock of that house, and it fell. And I just felt that as I was preparing this message today, that God wants to give hope for hurting marriages today. Maybe you're in the room today, and you're in the storm of your life, and your marriage is barely hanging on by a thread. I want you to know that the Lord says it's not too late. Maybe this scares you a little bit because you're like, I didn't start my marriage that way. I didn't begin with Jesus as the foundation, but you can leave this place today and you can make a decision that I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to rebuild this marriage. We're going to rebuild this family and we're going to build it on the firm foundation. We're going to get the foundation right this time. We're going to build it on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today, church, it's not too late. It's not too late. Come on, look at your spouse this morning. I want you to say, it's not too late. Y'all didn't say that like y'all meant it. We got to try that again. Look Look at him and say, it's not too late, baby. It's not too late. You can choose to rebuild today. And so what we're going to look at here in the next few moments is Solomon teaches us in the Song of Solomon. He teaches us how we can build our lives, our marriages on the rock. And can I tell you today that rock is is God. It's Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches us that God is love. And so to build our lives on the rock, we have to be able to cultivate love in our relationship. We have to be able to cultivate a love that lasts, and Solomon teaches us how to do that. And I want to show you this first thing, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is the first one. To cultivate a love that lasts, we have to speak words of life to our spouse. So if you think something positive about your spouse, you think something good about them, You should say it because to not say the good things you're thinking about is the same thing as if you went out and you bought your spouse a gift, you wrapped it up and you put a nice big bow on top of it and you hid it in the closet and you never give it to her. You just, you didn't give it to her. She would have enjoyed that gift so much. It would have made her so happy, but you just chose not to give it to her. Now, on the other hand, if you think something bad 
about your spouse, don't say that thing, okay? <laughs> Just don't do it. Don't, don't say it. Because we've got to speak words of life, everybody. Now, when Song of Solomon chapter 6 ends, I'm just telling y'all what the Bible said, okay? When Song of Solomon chapter 6 ends, I don't know if any of you guys out there who are married have experienced this. I'm just going to say I haven't, but his wife is dancing for him, okay? And if, if you have experienced that, then you're the real MVP, okay? Because I haven't, all right? But his wife is dancing for him. I think that's funny. And... And Solomon likes what he sees. He's thinking some positive things about his wife. And so he's like, I can't hold it in. I got to let it out. And this is what he says right here in Song of Solomon chapter 7. Notice it's him talking to her. And he says, how beautiful are your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs, they're like jewels, the work of a craftsman's hands, he says. Come on, guys. He's putting us all to shame, ain't he? He's laying it on thick to her. He's letting, he, this one's just weird. He's like, <laughs> he says, he says, your navel is, is like a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Can I be honest? I thought they were doing belly shots when I first read this. I'm like, they're doing belly shots. <laughs> That's not what they're doing actually, but I, your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, he says. I mean, he, he's just letting her, he's not holding anything back. He's just telling her. And these seem like some really weird compliments to us in our time. But like really, this, the book of Song of Solomon is an allegory. So when you study it, what you'll realize is that it's actually symbolic and it actually is very meaningful in their time that they lived in and in the culture that they live in, even though it doesn't make a whole lot of sense of us to, to us today. But really what he's saying, he's like, girl, you still got it. You still look good. I, I love your body. I love the way you look, the way you dance, and you look so good, girl. And he's just letting her know, like, where maybe once she had become insecure about her body, you know, maybe she put on a little weight after they got married or whatever. Like, he's just letting her know, I still think you look good. He's affirming her. He's saying, I, I really love the way that you look. He's speaking words of life over her. Now, can I just say, disclaimer here, um, this is married folk talk only, okay? So <laughs> if you're in a dating relationship today, you got to save that for your honeymoon, okay? You can't be talking to your girl like this. The Bible says, do not awaken love until it's time. So you can't be talking like that yet. But Solomon tells us this in the Song of Solomon, but Solomon is also credited with writing a lot of the Proverbs. And so in Proverbs, he lets us know why our words are so important. And he says that the tongue has the power of life and death and that those who love it will eat its fruit. And so what he's saying literally is like the words that you do or do not say is going to bring either life or it's going to either bring death into your relationship. You get to choose. And, and so he goes on in a few other chapters. I'm going to go to a couple of different verses in Proverbs where he's just really, um, he, he's just really affirming this idea that our words are so important. Proverbs chapter 13, he said that those who guard their lips, they preserve their lives. But those who speak rashly, they will come to ruin. He continues in Proverbs 12. He said, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, when I read this verse, what I think about, what really stands out to me is that 
Reckless words pierce like swords, like a sword. When you speak reckless words to your spouse, you could imagine it's like emotionally stabbing a sword into her heart, his heart. Solomon says, when you get reckless with your words, it's like a sword, it pierces. And maybe in your marriage, you've, you've done this before. Maybe you were in a big heated argument, got into the heat of the moment, and you were just trying to win the argument, and you said something, and you went too far, and you really didn't mean it. You went too far, and it wounded your spouse. It hurt them. One time, particularly, Danielle and I were going through a little bit of a rough patch in our marriage, and it was probably one of the, the roughest parts of our marriage thus far. Um, and there was a particular issue that we just could never really like get on the same page about. And every time the topic would come up, it was just like an argument. It was one of those seasons of life that for several months, it was like things were just off like all the time. And every time we tried to reconcile, every time we tried to fix this issue, it was like it ended in another argument. And this had been going on for a while, and I, I was getting tired of it. And so one day, we, we had brought the topic back up, and we were talking about it, and it was going the same as it had always gone. And I was just getting so angry. And in the heat of the moment, I said some reckless words. I said some words that to this day break my heart that I wish I wouldn't have said it. I said some words that I wish I could take back. And in the middle of that argument, I looked at her and I said, Danielle, I said, I love you, but I'm not in love with you anymore. And you're not the person that I thought I married. And I never forget the look on her face because the look on her face went from I'm in a fight and I'm fighting you to you just stabbed me. You just pierced a sword through my heart. And she sat down and she began to cry. And immediately I said, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. I was just trying to win the argument. Immediately I wish I could take those words back. But you know what? No matter how many times I apologize, no matter how much I regret it, I can never take those words back. And I can never take that wound away. I can't change it. And maybe you've done something similar to that. Maybe you did it in the car on the way to church here this morning. Can't change it. But what I can do is from this day forward, I can make a decision and I can say, I'm not going to be reckless with my words. I'm going to speak wise words because wise words will bring healing. That's what the Bible says, that the wise words will bring healing. Where I hurt her through my words, I can now bring healing. So instead of saying things like that, I can look at her now and I can say, Danielle, you're beautiful. I can say, Danielle, I love you so much. I love your personality. I can say, you make me laugh. You're so smart. I can say, I'm so glad that you're going to be the mother of my first child. And I would want no other woman to be the mother of my child. I can affirm her. I can speak words of life. I can say, Danielle, I love you. And those words can bring healing. Those words can bring restoration where there was once hurt. I can remind her, I love you. Every day, I love you. And sometimes once you get past the honeymoon stage in a marriage, the words I love you can kind of become stale and routine. And so all you have to do, I learned this this week, all you have to do is add one word, the word because. I love you because. I love you because you're kind. I love you because 
You're smart. I love you because you make me laugh. I love you because I love your personality. You keep me grounded. I love you because I'm a better version of myself when I'm with you. I can speak words of life, and those words will bring healing in my marriage. Now, Jesus teaches us in the Bible that as men, that we're supposed to love our wives the same, same way that Christ loves the church. And can I say that Jesus never speaks words of death over you. He never speaks words of death over us, only words of life. So we can follow his example by speaking words of life. Now, the second key to cultivating a love that lasts is intentional time. And we see this in the Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 11. Now the conversation switches gears, and now she's talking to her husband. And she says, come, my lover, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. She's saying, hey, let's go on a weekend getaway. Let's get out of town. Let's take off work. Let's get away from the kids, and let's go spend some intentional quality time together is what what she's saying here. And she continues and she says, let us go to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. She's saying, hey, let's go to the garden. Let's go, let's go check out the flowers. And can I just say, guys, I highly doubt that he really wanted to go look at a bunch of flowers, okay? (laughs) He probably didn't want to go look at flowers with his wife, I would liken it today to like when your wife says, hey, let's go to Target, baby. Like, <laughs> like I really need a Target run. And what's our response? We're like, all right, I'll be waiting in the car. I'll be in the car. No, don't wait in the car. Go with her. Go do something that she wants to do. That's what she's saying is, hey, let's go do something I want to do for some intentional time. So go do something she wants to do. Go, go hold her purse, carry her latte, because you know she's going to get one from the Starbucks in there. <laughs> and don't be complaining the whole time about how much money she's spending, okay? Like, have some intentional time. All the women said, amen, okay? I'm going to help you out too, guys, okay? I'm going to help you all out in a minute. But... Some intentional time doing some things she wants to do. And notice what she says. She says, when we do some stuff I want to do, there I will give you my love, okay? And that's what all guys want is the physical love, right? And what I've learned through marriage is like the way women feel, like for women to give their physical love to you, they need you to first take the first step and give your emotional love to them. Some intentional time, some, in, some quality time, doing some things they want to do. And I've learned that from my wife, that it's a whole lot easier for women to give their love physically when they feel a connection, an emotional connection. Because the way that they feel about giving their love physically when there's no emotional connection is the same way you feel about walking around through Target, okay? <laughs> it's basically the same concept. And so if, if you want her to do something you want, you got to do something she wants, okay? You got, it, you got to be intentional. It's quality time. It's intentional time. And I've, this is something the Holy Spirit's been working on me about lately is quality, intentional time with my wife because I've, I've just kind of like taken a survey of my life recently and realized that I signed up for three men's small groups this semester, okay? I'm in three men's small, group semest- uh, small groups this semester where 
Once a week in each of these groups, we come together for coffee, sit around a table, and for a solid hour, we give each other intentional time of, hey, how are you, how's your week going? How can I be praying for you? What's been going on? How can I encourage you? I'm giving three hours of my week to a bunch of hairy leg men, and I can't find one hour for my wife, like the love of my life. And maybe it's not small group for you. Maybe it's not small group for you, but there's something that you're giving intentional time to. It might be the Dallas Cowboys. It, it might, I didn't mean to stir that up. Sorry about that. But you get the point is that there's something that you give intentional time to, but we have to be intentional to spend quality time with our spouse. Not only do we have to be intentional about time with our spouse, but we have to be intentional about inviting God into the relationship as well. Praying with our spouse. One thing that I've learned in the past couple of weeks that I've been doing is once a week, I'll send my wife a text and I'll say, hey, I'm thinking about you. How can I pray for you specifically this week? And you'll be shocked by the response that you get. Oh, I had no idea that you were dealing with that. I had no idea that that was on your mind. I had no idea that this was worrying you. And I can pray for her. We can pray together. We're bringing God into our relationship and it takes intentional time and the last, the last point of the day, if you want to write it down, to cultivate a key, uh, keys to cultivate a love that lasts in your marriage is that you have to decide to be different. If you want a different result than the statistics we looked at at the beginning of this message, if you want a different result than all the other marriages in the world, then you have to operate differently than all the other marriages in the world. You can't do the same thing that everybody else does and expect different results. That's called insanity, okay? You have to change your behavior. You have to change the way you operate. And I know some of you today would say, oh, Caleb, you just don't know how bad I got it. You don't know how bad my spouse is. You just don't know what I'm having to put up with. You just have no idea. But what if instead of pointing the finger at our spouse, we decided but what can I change about me? What if I worked on myself? I can find freedom. I can go to counseling. Oh, I ain't got no issues. That's your issue. That's your problem is you don't think you're ever wrong. What if I found freedom? What if I decided, you know what? I'm gonna be the best spouse that I can possibly be even if they choose not to try. You know, that's what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life unto death just so that you could have the opportunity that if you want to, you might love him back. Just in case you wanted to do it. He gave his whole life. And that's what we're called to do in marriage as well is we're supposed to lay down our lives for our spouse. Even if they don't love you back. You can do all you can do. Going back to chapter 2, the beginning of Song of Solomon, he says, catch for us the little foxes that ruin the vineyards. And again, this is an allegory. So what this is symbolic of is vineyards is symbolic for the body. Little foxes is symbolic of little sins. Maybe things that everybody else in your life does. All the guys at work do it. All the girls at work do it. You know, the little things that don't seem, it, everybody does it. It's not a big deal. But he says the little foxes, they ruin the vineyard. It'll ruin the relationship. What if I decided instead of pointing out all their flaws, 
Instead of pointing out the speck in their eye, I'm going to look at the log that's in mine first. And I'm going to say, hey, what are the little foxes that are in my vineyard? I'm going to get rid of that addiction that's driving a wedge in between my marriage. I'm going to get rid of that toxic thought process that, that drives. I'm going to go to counseling. I'm going to take my next steps. I'm going to get in a small group. I'm going to go to a freedom group. I'm going to go to a conquer group and I'm going to change me. I'm going to become the best version of myself that I could possibly be today. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get baptized. I'm going to choose to take my next step so I can show my spouse and I can show my family what it looks like to publicly declare my relationship with Jesus. I'm going to be the example. I'm going to be different. Today, I'm going to go to the first step of growth track, and I'm going to discover my purpose so that I can begin to make a difference in the world, and I can show my spouse and my family what it looks like to live a godly life. I'm going to be different. I'm not going to be like all all of my buddies at work and and all all the people that, that have terrible marriages. I'm not going to take marriage advice from the people who are falling apart. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to be different. We're going to serve God. We're going to serve each other. We're going to swallow our pride. We're going to work at it. Every day, we're going to work at it. You know, it may not be perfect, but I'm going to work at it. This is one thing I always admired about my parents, an example that they set for me is growing up, I always heard them say that the word divorce is not welcome in this house. They said, because no matter how bad it may get, No matter how much of a rough patch we may go through, we can work it out. With God, with Jesus, we can work through this. Now, I understand, as Pastor Ben was saying a few weeks ago, there's certain circumstances that exclude that, such as if you're a victim of abuse. It's a totally different story. But outside of that, and then breaking the marriage covenant, we're going to work it out. Giving up is not an option. We're going to build our lives on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. We're going to give each other intentional time. We're going to speak words of life. And can I say this? I'm going to speak words of life, not not just in front of their face, but also behind their back. When I talk to my friends, I'm not going to just tear them down. I'm going to build my spouse up to my friends. I'm going to speak words of life. We're going to be different because we want different. And if you want different, you got to be different. you got to make up your mind today. I'm going down a different path. I'm choosing that narrow path because wide is the path. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Come on. If you believe that, say amen. And if you would bow your head with me, close your eyes this morning. I just want to ask you to just reflect over your life for just a moment. Your marriage. What are the next steps that God has for you to take? Maybe... Maybe for you, it's time to stop putting all the blame on your spouse and to start looking at your own life. What are my next steps? Maybe it's time to go through the the growth track and discover your purpose to lead your family. Maybe it's time to get baptized and go public with your faith and be that godly spouse, be that godly parent of your family. Maybe it's time to give intentional time to each other, to begin to speak words of life instead of death. You might say, hey, I'm not speaking words of death, but maybe you're just saying nothing at all. You're just silent. Because that can be just as damaging. It's time to speak up, speak some words of life.
to your spouse. I just want to take a moment to pray for you. God, I lift up every marriage that's in this room today. Lord, there is hope for hurting marriages. Today, their marriage may be on the rocks. They may have walked in with their marriage on the rocks, but they can leave today building their marriage on the rock, the rock of Jesus Christ. I pray right now that you would speak clearly to each and every person today about what their next step is, what you have for them to do. How are we gonna allow your word to change us? Not to just be, not to be like the foolish man who, who heard the word and didn't do anything about it, but how can we be like the wise man today, God? That we heard your word and we did what you said. We're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers. We're putting it into action. Your head's still bowed. Maybe today you're here and your marriage isn't built on the rock, but to get really honest, your life's not built on the rock. You don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You haven't experienced the love of God. And can I tell you today that it's gonna be impossible for you to build a love that lasts if you don't first experience the love of God? Because God is love. Maybe you don't have that relationship with God today, but I've got good news for you. Because God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. He died a criminal's death on the cross. He was beaten. And by his blood, we have remission of sin. Today, God is here for you. He loves you. He rose again on the third day so that you could be free. And today, you can choose to build your life on the rock. Today, you can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, you've got to make a decision. I'm not going to ask you to stand up, and I'm not going to ask you to come down front. What I will ask you to do is to just, here in a moment, I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, I want you to lift your hand, and then I'm going to lead us all in a prayer together, okay? You've got to decide. So if you're here today, you feel the weight of your sin, you're tired of not living a life on on a solid foundation. It's time to begin a relationship with Jesus. You're ready to experience the love of God and to allow him to shine his light on your life. If that's you, on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to just slip up your hand. If that's you, one, two, three. Thank you, I see you, I see you. Hey, God sees you, he's proud of you. I see you, I see you, I see you, and I see you. I see you and you and you. So proud of each and every one of you. God is proud of you. I see you in the top. Thank you, sir. Hey, God is here for you. I see you in the top, young man. God loves you and he is proud of you. I'm so proud of each and every one of you this morning. This is amazing. Thank you. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All right, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer together. I'm gonna ask that everyone would pray this in support of those who raise their hands and say this. Say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I need you. I'm asking you today to be my foundation, the solid rock in my life. I confess that I have sin in my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to be my Lord, 
to give me a new beginning. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Say it like this. Say, I give my entire life to you. I surrender all. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again on the third day to set me free. And I step into that freedom today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, church, put your hands together. Let's give Jesus the best praise, amen.